0: The Province Sports Podcast.
1: Welcome to the White Tail Podcast, where we talk about all things Canucks. Um, joined here by Ed Willis, we will be talking about the playoffs, how the Canucks match up, whether we like what we're seeing or not. Talk a little bit of draft prospects, what the Canucks are going to do in the offseason. As always, you can subscribe to The White Towel through Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, and I'd also like to remind you that you can join the Vancouver Canucks and Genes Day Ambassador Brock Besser in supporting BC Children's Hospital. Buy a button and gene up in support of BC's kids on Thursday, May the 2nd. You can get find out more about Besser's involvement in the program and more at genesday.ca. Ed. Yes, we're going to endeavor to Beat this dead horse for a few more weeks. As uh, <laughs> how many as a, more weeks can we squeeze out of this lemon? <laughs> well, it just seems like people can't get enough of the Canucks, but um, and certainly there's intrigue. You know, we talked about the draft lottery last week, and sure. now I think without getting a top five pick, it's more who are they going to add in free agency? Who who are they? Who could they trade for? What would they give up? But man, when you watch the playoffs and you see some of the hockey we're seeing, is Do you think it's discouraging to Canuck fans to
0: see how far away they they really are when you look at the kind of hockey that's being played. Well, I think it's a wake up call. Uh, yeah, I think there's you know a clear illustration of of, of just just uh, the 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 road which lies ahead for the Canucks. My uh, my friend and colleague Chris Stevenson, who's covered the Senators forever, posted this tweet last night. He said he was watching the uh, Colorado and Calgary game, the speed and the skill at which that was played, and was wondering if the Senators play in the same league, if not the same universe. And I think that's where Canucks fans are. I mean. You have to weigh—they tend to view things in isolation, in in this Canucks vacuum— and because the team is improving internally, that means it's improving in relation to the rest of the NHL. And it doesn't really work that way. Like, the improvements the Canucks are making are going on in another five, six, seven different markets. So, yes, they're getting better compared to what they've been, but are they really getting better compared to the Colorados, to the Calgarys, to the Las Vegases, the teams that they face in the West? And, God, that Colorado team is going to be a monster. If not this year... And you can easily make a case if their goaltending holds up, they they might get through to the Western Finals because Nathan McKinnon is 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 easily one of the five best players in the game, and maybe even maybe even maybe even in that hallowed Sidney Crosby Connor McDavid ground, I I I would put him there. Uh, they unveiled Cal McCarr last night who only scores in his first game after winning the hobie baker and leading umass to the to to the national championship they've got the fourth overall pick this year they've got a ton of prospects in the pipeline like i said they're going to be a handful to deal with going forward and that's just one of the considerations facing the canucks so colorado is a great example now like i have been looking at colorado
1: for four years probably since they got McKinnon to be, to be honest Mm -hmm. and thinking, okay, this is a team ready to make the next leap. And they have not for whatever reason, but you see that the amount of talent there, but Colorado and Columbus are two teams that were fighting until the last week of the season to make the playoffs. And now you're looking at me going sky's the limit. Yeah. How were the Canucks able to hang in it for this long then? Or is it just like, you're right. When you, when you look at Colorado's overall prospect pool, They have more than Vancouver does right now, even though Vancouver has a couple of those elite pieces. But, you know, what's what's the key to putting it all together here? Like how far away you you've been saying 2020 is the year for the Canucks. But really, when you look at these other teams that get in and prove they can compete right away, what's realistic for Canuck fans?
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. And, I, and when I say 20, 2020 is when we really find out where they are in relation to the NHL. I'm not saying 2020 is the, you know, oh, January 1, yeah. 2020 is the, you know, that they make this great leap forward. I think I think that's when we really find out what they have with this young core, if Jake Vertanen is ever going to develop into an impact player, if Ole Alevi is ever going to be that top four guy who they thought they were when they were drafted. I, I think that's when the picture just becomes a, a, a lot clearer but but like I said before like beyond that there's this whole other world out there the Canucks are competing in you know look at a team like Arizona that everybody agrees overachieved to an illogical degree this year uh you know the injuries they had and look what they've got coming down the pipeline too and that's i, I, I don't mean to keep beating this horse but I guess that's what we do in these podcasts but but it's, it's all over. It's all over. And, and I don't think there's, there are kind of, you, you can make sort of broad generalizations about the way to go about it, Um and, you know, I hate to trot these things out because they are so, they're dusty old bromides about drafting and developing and showing patience and all the rest of it. There's a huge element of luck involved. But I, I look at Colorado, a team I'm probably more familiar with than, than Columbus, but I look at Colorado and I liken their development to where Los Angeles was in their build-up to the Stanley Cup team, where the Kings sucked irrevocably for about a three- or four-year period, and that allowed them to, to to draft Drew Doughty, a couple of other guys. Then they went through another prolonged phase of of sucking, and that got them Anze Kopitar, and they got him Jack Johnson, who they turned into Jeff Carter. In the meantime, they're kind of adding these pieces all the way along. And when they're ready to strike, you know, it hits. Columbus is kind of one of those teams I, I think you could easily make the case. They are. Uh, they were at the start of this year about where the Canucks were or hoped to be in two years, where they're you know pushing for a playoff spot. They made the playoffs last year, um, you know they had these great young pieces, but then they go ahead and, and you know and and go for it. They go all in. They get Duchesne. they get Zingle at the at the trade deadline to go with these really attractive pieces. They have really risky move, but it seems to have worked. I mean, when you look at the lineup. They've got, that's not a team that just snuck into the eighth place spot. That is a legitimate NHL power. That is an elite team when you look at their lineup top to bottom. And again, you know, that's, you know, conceding that Duchesne and Zingle didn't have the desired effect, but they certainly seem to be having it now. So you can take your pick of the models the Canucks should be following. And I'm not sure you can really make a hard and true case uh, other than those, you know, kind of things I outlined. And then beyond that, it's kind of organizational expertise. It's, it, it, it's luck. It's just how good these young players are going to get.
1: It is a frightening prospect for uh, not just fans, but I would imagine uh, the people working in the corridors of power at Rogers Arena. If you, you know, you, you talk about all the established teams, but you mentioned Arizona um Calgary's got this young seemingly powerhouse tv even though they have their hands full with Colorado. We like to laugh at Edmonton but they still have Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl and then you know if you're looking maybe equivalency of a Bo Horvat you've still got Nugent Hopkins there who's young and still growing. And I go down go. Chicago got career seasons out of Taves and Kane who are still there. And they've got the third overall pick. L.A. They didn't they didn't hit the draft lottery, but they'll have a higher pick. They still have Dowdy and some of these elite pieces. Like you're running to stand still in the West, aren't you?
0: Yeah. Well, and again, you know, we'll we'll, we'll find out more. And, and you know, the Canucks are. You know, let's let's not be Debbie Downer here. The Canucks are positioned. There are some things in place. This draft, this draft, and this. I think that's why you know we've been saying along that that's why this draft and this off season is so crucial in the story of this incarnation of the team. They've got to hit on the draft. Again, to me, they've got to, they've got to land an impact player in, in free agency, and Benning has talked about going out and trading for an upgrade in the defense. That's three significant things that have to happen, and the draft pick isn't nobody's expecting it to have an impact this year, probably next year, either for that matter. But those are three. Now, if they hit on all three, um, then all of a sudden you can start changing the way you think about this team. I think, and I I think we've talked about this in the past too, but I think the underlying story in, in, in all of this is, do you have confidence in this administration to make those kind of moves, to consistently hit on the big things that have to be hit on? And they've done it with some draft picks, not all of them, but with some draft picks. They failed miserably on the trade and the free agent front. And and to me, that's still the biggest question. What is this hockey organization going to look like going forward? Are they going to go out and hire? Are they going to build something? Is Benning really the guy? Is Weisbrod really the guy? And I think there's room for healthy skepticism about all those questions. Well, I did, um,
1: did a video yesterday with uh, Canucks beat writer Patrick Johnson and... You know, you mentioned Vertanen and Ualevi. Those there are two names that are huge for this organization because they were high draft picks. But I don't see, Ed, where, you know, we've admitted that you're probably gonna sign your impact player in free agency on the wing. Your defenseman you're gonna try and trade for. How can you bring in a top four defenseman without Jake Vertanen being the piece to move? Like I don't God. I just don't see how you can make that happen. It's either Like you're either sticking with a kid and you're going to give him another year to develop or he has to be central to a piece
0: to bring in the defenseman that you want so badly. Well, you can't. And I don't think he's going to bring that player over by himself either. I think, you know, and, and, you know, Benning's on record. So what you're saying is they'd
1: have to throw in Louis Erickson.
0: (laughs) Well, maybe. Yes, yes. Even I I still look at Ben Hutton as as the guy. And, and and, you know, sorry, I've written this and just wondering, like, what would that package fetch? Does that get you your upgrade on defense? Uh, which is basically an upgrade on Ben Hutton, right? Yeah. I, I think in the big picture, that's that's what we're looking at. Um, so, yeah, I, and, and I don't know the answer to that. That's going to be a hell of a hard trade to make with what the Canucks have. And I, I don't know, maybe they go into their prospect pool and maybe they peel off. Maybe maybe in some crazy universe, Tyler Madden is 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 is, is really sought after by some organization and the the combination of him and Vertanen can land them, you know, that that impact player, or maybe it's Jack Rap. I I don't know what it is, yeah. but I I just know it's going to be a really hard trade to make. And and I and I've written this. I I I know the Canucks. I believe me. I am intimately familiar with the weaknesses of that Canucks defense. But I just look at where they are now. At, at the overall structure of the team, and I'd be okay into starting next season with what they have on defense right now. I know it's not good enough to get them into the playoffs, but it might be good enough to keep them in the conversation, keep the team relevant, and then maybe have a look at where where things are next season. And maybe some of the pieces, you know, you, you have accumulated, there is a, a bigger market for them, maybe the market changes. Uh, that would be my take on it. It's... um. I think it is fascinating going forward, because
1: if you look at, I can't even remember the words of the exact cliche, but it's something about, you know, a coach developing players for the guy who is hired after him, uh, that happens with the NHL players being drafted so young, but if I, like I really wonder if if this draft wasn't in Vancouver, if the 10th pick would be in play to move, because you look at where Benning is and is, you know, the patience with ownership and then even the coach and you start to look at, we have to start to move now. And the fact that, as you said, I think a best case scenario would be two years from now for a guy you're going to get at 10 to, to start to even play, let alone have an impact. So, yeah, I mean, it's. I know it's their draft, and they want. if they're not moving up, I think that that ordinarily would be a pick that was in play because they don't have too much else.
0: Yeah, no, I, th- I think you raise a great point there. And then the other one, and you mentioned it in passing, and I just, you know, I just prattled on so long the last time I had to take a breath there and <laughs> let you say something. But And again, it's something we've talked about, the X factor in all this. What is ownership's expectation? And it was funny. I, last night, I was just—I was—I was going. I figured we might be talking about some of this. And I was going back over the summer and the events around the firing of Trevor Linden, and and right up until you know the 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 last of Francesco's tweets, which was just actually the open letter to the season's ticket holders. And and I'm sorry again. They're all over the map in their messaging and what they're trying to say. I know people remember this, but when Trevor was originally. <clears throat> Mut- when there was the mutual mutually decision- agreed upon yes. when there was the mutual decision for Trevor to leave the organization can you mutually agree to get the fired? The, 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 original, the original tweet from Francesco was, "We're going to hire a president, yeah. and then the next day Benning has his press conference and he goes, "No, no, I think I'm the guy who's going to you know answer directly to ownership." And then I, I'm not sure if they ever clarified that I mean I think what happened is they went after Dean Lombardi they got turned down and Francesco figured well what the hell we'll go with this guy we'll see, you know we'll save a salary we'll see how this turns out we're not going to be world beaters next year anyways which is why I mean again you know that's one of the you know the, the great intrigues of this off season is are they going to go out and hire that like president hockey overlord wise old head which will steer this ship in, in, in the right direction and where was I going with all this, you, can you help me out? <laughs> no, and the, and that's it. So, I, I, and then when Francesco, you know, in, in that letter, the the, the the that that letter, the open letter to to the season ticket holder says, you know, I wish we were farther along. And then you look at the track record of this ownership group. I'm just wondering, I think it's reasonable to ask, how long is it, 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 how long is Jim Benning's leash? Like, how, how much of a chance is he going to get to see this thing through or is he going to be answering to somebody else in the space of a month? Well, this is what's
1: fascinating about this whole scenario, where we are in terms of the timeline of this team. You know, 24 months ago, Las Vegas didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And you look at what they got out of the box. You talk about teams like Colorado, what they're developing – Other teams that are in and around where the Canucks are who have foundational pieces just like the Canucks do, and I look at Seattle on the horizon, there's no doubt with the money that they paid, they're going to be demanding for the same conditions that Vegas got. Now, that's there's no guarantee that means they'll be able to put together a team that's successful, and they may go another route. They may go, we want expiring contracts, we want young players, we're going to like try and build this team up from the bottom. But I think that this is the Canucks are like looking over their shoulder as much as they know what their plan is. And I think that's the danger. So when you talk about guys like Benning or the front office or president, I don't care what sport it is, Ed. If you look at the successful organizations, they are all on the same plan from the owner Mm -hmm. down to the trainer like and the minor league coach, whatever they're doing. And I think that is the fear when you look at the track record. Of this ownership. Now, maybe as you peel pieces away and you don't have as many in the front office
0: as other places do, it's easier to say, well, we're all on the same page, but are they? No, and and that's just, I mean, you know, the sainted word in in hockey circles is alignment. And in every every successful organization, it's a straight line from ownership through the president or the GM. Right, right on through, and you know, and I think we've talked about like that Canucks hockey department. First of all, it's a threadbare operation compared to the every virtually every other team in the NHL. That that that's one thing to consider, and and the other thing is this seemingly moving target they keep trying to hit, where they're staying competitive while they're drafting, while they're developing, while they're chasing a playoff spot, and you know we we've seen where that got them. I I I'd at least say this for them, you know. They aren't making any false promises this year. Um, You know, they had every opportunity in that final media availability of the season, which is a week ago uh, yesterday, to say, yes, we're ready or yes, we're going to preserve. They just said, no, we want to make the next step, which is like so vague, it's laughable. But you can't really, you know, you can't accuse them of painting themselves into into a corner with this thing. By taking the next step, you know, that problem that I I think that means, you know, my interpretation of it means that they're going to be more meaningfully in the playoff conversation right up until, you know, the end of March. I think they made it all the way to the end of February this season before the bottom fell out. So that would be the next step in my, in, in my mind, and then the young players you know, show some improvement, and that's it. And And I guess my question to that is, is that enough for this fan base, which has endured so much over the last four years, and is it enough for ownership? Well, because they've endured all that, that playoff free time in the last four years, we
1: have sent you to Utica a couple of times um, so you're well-versed in that scenario. And I know it wasn't too long ago you talked to to Ryan Johnson. Um, that had been a good news story mm-hmm. for the Canucks the last couple of years. And you can have the debate about whether winning games or playing games is more important for young players. But question marks have now popped up around Utica and if something is wrong there. Um, they didn't have a great year compared to their past years. Has your opinion changed on that scenario down there at all?
0: Yeah, it's pretty hard to run away from that one. The story changed in Utica this season, and and it changed largely because of three people. It's Jonathan Dolan, Cole Lind, and, uh, and Jonah Gadjevich, who were all considered not not the Pedersen level of prospect, but the next level down. And, and you know, the hope was... One of those would emerge as an impact player, and if two of them, wa was that? Was found money that that was a great thing. And again, you look at where they were, uh, you know, drafted, and they were kind of in that hazy area. All three were second rounders, I believe. But Dahlin was coming off that amazing year in 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 Sweden, where he lifted Timrå into into the elite league as a nineteen year old and was the MVP playing against men in the in the Swedish se- se- second division. So out of all that. And again, the expectations are so low. All they wanted to see was improvement, some sign that yeah, yet yeah, this this was getting better. One of them scores 20 to 25 goals. One of them, you know, takes a a top nine, maybe even a top six role in Utica. And not only did it did it not happen, they all regressed. And 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 yes, there were injuries and there were mitigating factors, and I get all that. But I also think this organization has run out of excuses. I really do. I just think there's, there is now a bottom line to every decision they have to make, and that's how they should be judged, not against this kind of ephemeral, well, we're trying to change the culture and we're trying to develop and, and all the rest of it. You've had four years to do it. Okay, let's, you know, show, let's start showing some results well, every, here. Well, you're 100% right. Every single year, we're not going to use injuries as an
1: excuse. And, and then they come come as, yeah. soon, as soon as they fall off the meaningful games, it's, well, if we didn't have these injuries, yeah. and that was in Utica as well, they talked about injuries. Every team has injuries, you know, and you can't blame injuries every single year. Like, you're either doing something wrong, um, or you're the only unluckiest franchise in the world, which Canuck fans may believe that's let, true. Let
0: me ask you a question. This came up, I was on one of the radio stations, a roundtable discussion on, on Friday, and, and I kind of voiced that opinion that, that uh, you know, the, the Canucks I They've, they've gone, off, they gone off lightly this year, in my opinion, because everybody was like, Elias Patterson was the shiny new object, Besser had a good year, Horvat had a good year, look, here comes Quinn Hughes, Demko shows up, they get a great year out of Jacob Markstrom, that's how everybody That's what everybody's taught, or I'm sorry, that's what's really driving the narrative of this team. Not that they missed the playoffs for the fourth year in a row, not Necessarily that they miss. Let me let me qualify that, and not necessarily that they weren't in the playoff conversation for the last month of the season. It's just like look at this, and I thought, you know, it's almost like the Canucks are getting a participation ribbon out of all this, right? Yeah. So, are they being judged? Did they get a bit of a free pass this year? Are they being judged too leniently? I I, I don't know. I don't have a feel for it. That was just kind of my thought. Wait, what's yours?
1: Well, yeah, no. I've seen a lot of the feedback about uh, from fans, and again, it's very it's very difficult to tell if social media is a, a real bellwether right. or if it's just you know a certain minority who are who are very active and very loud on social media. But. Um, there's this idea that the Canucks media is too negative, and, and when I look at it, if you'd said at the start of the season that Pedersen was going to, you know, most probably win the Calder, have the kind of impact that he did, that Markstrom would prove, like, you don't have any question marks in goal anymore, like, yes, this guy is capable of being a number one starter, that you'd introduce Quinn Hughes by the end of the season, um, you know, that that Horvat would have the kind of season he had, if you were to say all that... Of course, fans would be happy. They go, "That's fantastic." We know what we have going forward, but I think you'd also assume that you would make the playoffs,
0: yeah, or so, at least last longer. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: So, so the fact that you were able to get all these upgrades, but as I said before, you're kind of standing still, even with progressing. I mean, I don't know. I think they do kind of get a free pass, and I think that we've we've talked about this in every sport you're selling hope, Mm -hmm. you know, as a fan of the Cincinnati Bengals. (laughs) I, April is more important to me than February because it's the draft. And I know every year I can pretend that we got a steal and we're, and that unfortunately is the, that's the wheel that Canuck fans are falling into is that there's this hope, but at some point the hope has to pay off. Now, of course it did. Besser was a great story last year. Pedersen, a great story this year. It looks like we can pretty much bank on Hughes being a great story next year but as we, to 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 come a little full circle on this when you're seeing what Columbus can do against an absolute like Tampa Bay may have been hidden away where they were to for, for them to be up 3 nothing like do we have to start like building a statue to John Tortorelli or something maybe that second round draft pick that they got off the Canucks is looking like a steal the other way because I, like there's some astonishing stories in this playoffs and i think what it does speak to me when i i would i don't know that i've been this shocked by it before the instant cranking up of the intensity for all teams in the playoffs, you know, even the Leafs, who have been, they've been talking about since December, there's something wrong with this team, they're in a funk, that they got the lead over Boston, who had a much better record in the regular season, I don't know, there's something like, can this team turn it up when they get to the playoffs, and that's what you need to start to have your eye on. I think next year has to be it though, Ed. Like we can't be talking about getting another nine point gain or playing games, being eliminated from the playoffs closer to the end of the season. This team has to show that, or if, and if it doesn't, are you going to start to fall into the Edmonton territory where it's just so easy to lose and accept losing?
0: Yeah, it, 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 I, I, yeah, I, 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 I agree, and that's why I've kind of, you know, earmarked, you know, January first, twenty twenty, is, you know, really the, the the point at which the clock starts ticking on this team. I, I think it is, and I, and I've thought about this in watching the playoffs. I, I, I think if Canucks fans would be uh, encouraged by anything, it, it is this parody question. Within the NHL, and and again, like they hung with a lot of those teams, and even going into the last week of the season, they go like, like they go into Nashville and, play, and and they were playing a team that was in a dogfight, trying to avoid you trying to get to the top spot in, in the central, you know, and, and avoid playing Winnipeg in the, in the first round, gave them all they could, and they ended up losing on a they allowed two, I think, in the last three minutes of or whatever it was, it was a very close game. Point point being that it doesn't seem, if you can, I think we're back to that territory. As long as you make the playoffs, you have a realistic shot because it doesn't seem like there is that much difference now between the elite teams and the teams that do finish 7th, 8th, 6th, whatever, in their conference. I I think there was a time when it seems to me the last three, four years, form has kind of held in the playoffs. But I think we're back to that era where it's just you know you can almost count on an upset or two. The top three teams, uh, so one, two, three in the overall standings in the NHL this year are are all trailing in their series, and Tampa is facing elimination, and um, Calgary, Calgary's got their hands full with that Colorado team. I'm sorry, I'm just blanking out on who's who's third now. Was it Boston? Yeah, I believe no, no, it wasn't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. But take my word for it. Yeah, what's <laughs> well, no. the top three teams, and then it they're all they're all losing in their series. It was Washington. Thank you. Yeah, but, but you know Boston's trailing as well, and
1: they had this remarkable streak after yep. the season. And and you'd even say, oh, Pittsburgh and Sidney Crosby. There's a team that you know, they kind of they're bored with the regular season, but once they get in the playoffs and come look what they've done to them in Long Island. Like that's that, that's another astonishing story. I think these playoffs have been great. Um, I know we're going to wrap it up pretty quickly, but. Um, and listen to what I'm going to do here. If the Canucks can bank on anything, it would be a good redemption and comeback story oh, to finally get back to where they wanted to go. Where,
0: you're going. <laughs> where did the Tiger
1: Woods story rank for you? I know you covered a lot of golf, and we don't have the playoff hockey to distract us. But we've all, we, you know, we hear this all the time. What a great time for sports this is! Kicked off certainly by the Masters, and it was a really captivating event.
0: Yeah, I, I think maybe the best way to express that is the reference point isn't where does that fit in recent golf years? It, it where it's where it fits. In the whole pantheon of sports in the last century, and I can't think of too many other stories like this one. Just, just with the the scope of the figure involved, the stage, the tournament, what he went through, everything, and just the transformation of him from this, you know, this automaton, this golfing cyborg who just destroyed everything in his wake and who was brought down. Like there's something so mythic about this story, almost biblical, right? Uh, About about where he was, the depths to which he plummeted, and and then his ascension again. And everybody loves the story of a reformed sinner, and this might be the ultimate story of that. I think it's a little over the top. I'm sorry, I still see a cold-eyed killer out there on the golf course. I think he's just maybe learned to play the game uh, away from the course a, a little better, how much he's changed who really knows but it's but on the surface and it fits the narrative right yeah it it fits the story and people want to believe that and that's great because it was it was it was (laughs) as good a theater as you're ever going to see so you know we can have
1: the debate or you know we'll see it play out over the next 12 months or so whether this was a great one-off like when jack won his last masters Mm -hmm. um sort of one last gasp or if he really is quote back and is capable of winning a, a couple more uh, majors. I, to me, I find it fascinating because he's almost a, a victim of his own success and that he created this young fit athletic golfer, which we're seeing this next generation of guys who are ultimate tiger fans who are they're not Craig Stadler, they're not Dave Barr. Um, and here's Tiger at 43 with the body of a 53 year old, to be fair, like three back surgeries, everything else, the, you know, the painkiller issues, knees, knees, everything else, shoulder, all sorts of stuff he's had go wrong. Like this is what I think is just brilliant is, is, was this just one great moment that we could all savor or are we gonna see him in the mix for several more? Because the, the field now, guys that are chasing him is so much greater than it was when he first broke in and he was competing against these older fellows.
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's great that, that like, and Dave Barr will be thrilled to know he was one of the giants that David, uh, the Tiger Woods <laughs> was able know. to topple off the top of the mountain. Yeah, but, you know, we, we are going to be watching to find out if, if that's the case. And I'm sorry, I just go back. And the, the other thing about this generation of golfers, They're not familiar with the intimidation factor. Like Tiger used to show up on Sunday, and that was it. If he was leading, the tournament was over because they people just couldn't rise to the challenge. And I can, can, it's funny when you look back and you think of it, and, and God, the years just fly by so quickly. And you can kind of think of those individual moments. Remember, like, Hal Sutton winning the TPC uh, the one year. and the, But that was astonishing because he stared down Tiger and actually beat him in a tournament that made, made meaningful. I can of maybe three, four, five examples of that, and, and that was it. So getting back to this point, I just see, like, the depth of the field and the quality of the players, and it's just not one or two guys anymore. It's it's ten guys are all at the, at the top of the world golf rankings, you know, from, from Rory McIlroy. Dustin Johnson at the high end to a guy like John Rahm and even Molinari who really gifted him that tournament on the back nine. Um so so that that's what Tiger has to plow through and God if he can do it, God bless him. You know, the other great thing is, you know, the tournaments that the mages are coming up are are at Pebble Beach and, and Beth Page where he's won in the past. And he won the he won this Masters on muscle memory. I'm convinced that is like that was the biggest part of that equation. So like I said, we're gonna be watching the world is going to be watching. It's going to be one of these great events that transcends sports and, and and like hits, hits an audience that hits that casual viewer audience. Uh, and they will be tuning in. Well,
1: let's hope that next year, if we're looking at him defending the masters, we have some connects playoff hockey to talk about as well. So you tried to tie it back in there together. So thanks for listening. It was a bit of a one-off there with, uh, with some golf talk, but, um, fascinating if for any sports fan, there's no doubt. I'll give you another reminder for our friends, uh, the Vancouver Canucks, and over at uh, BC Children's Hospital that you can join the Vancouver Canuck and Jeans Day Ambassador Brock Besser in supporting BC Children's Hospital. Please buy a button and jean up in support of BC's kids on Thursday, May 2nd. More at jeansday.ca. As always, thank you for listening. Thanks to Kwana our producer. Go and subscribe through Apple Podcasts and we'll talk to you next week.